Wow. It is good to worship. Amen? Boys and girls, this is what I need your help with this morning. Now, the kids that usually come up here for Children's Church, here's the deal. I'm going to have you get up and do something for me in a second. Parents, if you're visiting with us, you got uh, infants or toddlers. We do have a, a nursery in the back hallway uh, that's staffed back there. So if you uh, are sitting there going, what do I do with my, my child, my toddler? We have a place for them this morning. But the older kids, like uh, kindergarten and up, on holidays, we like them worshiping with the family. Um, we worship together as family, so we like keeping them around. So for the younger children who are like, oh boy, what are they going to do while Pastor Rex is preaching? This is what they're going to do. They're going to go in the back, and there's some high school boys back there, some young men. They've got this. They've got sort of cardstock paper here. And children, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get up. You're going to walk back there. They're going to give you at least two pieces and then a bag of crayons. Because during the sermon, I'm going to tell you, kids, draw me a picture of this now. So you're going to be listening in when I'm preaching, and you're going to draw a picture for me. Be creative with that picture, okay? And then when church service is all done, I'm going to be up here. I've got a basket up here. You're going to come up here, and while the parents are stacking chairs, the kids, you come up here and hang out with me. Show me your pictures, and i got a little surprise for you. Sound like a good deal? All right, I like it. So boys and girls, I'm going to ask you to sort of get up now, sort of go to the back to those high schoolers back there. They'll give you a couple pieces of paper, crayons. All right, kids going to do that. Parents, while the kids are going to get crayons and that, why don't you grab your Bibles? We'll give them time to do that. All right. The kids are getting their stuff, and they're just going to come back to their seat. While they're doing that, and kids, you're just going to have to be patient. I will tell you in a little bit what you're going to draw, okay? So just crayons ready, paper ready. And get ready to draw, okay? While they're doing that, I, I was just sort of thinking about this. We have a lot of holidays on the calendar, don't we? You sort of think about all the different holidays. And uh, this special holiday is pretty amazing because we have a lot of days that surround one holiday. I want you to think about Easter. Mon uh, we have what's called Monday Thursday. We have Good Friday. We have what we call Resurrection Sunday, again, part of Easter. And uh, we have Lent going on. We have Passover. All this surrounding Easter. It's a lot of different stuff. This past week, I'm going to, a lot of you get the emails, okay? So I'm going to sort of go back to some of those emails that I sent out this week and share some thoughts with you. Because I thought about this, really, when it, when it comes to Sunday morning, when we celebrate the resurrection, there's quite a buildup. I want you to, let's start with Good Friday. Okay, let's start with Good Friday. Let me hear you all say Good Friday. Good Friday, yeah. Now, seriously, wait a second. Why was it good? I want you to think about why it was good. Why do we call it Good Friday? Why is this good? It was the most miserable, dreary moment at that moment in time in history when you think about it. When you read all the gospel stories, you're going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you open up your Bible and you're reading, and then you get to that Friday. What was so good about it? Read Matthew 26 and 27 sometime for the full story, but allow me to uh, quickly summarize Matthew 26 and 27. And there's other gospel accounts in Mark, Luke, and John. 
And in those gospel accounts, we would uh, read more about this. But let me give you the account from Matthew. Matthew 26 and 27. Jesus and his disciples gathered together for what's called the Last Supper. While they're eating, Jesus shares to the whole group. If you can imagine this, this is an evening meal. They're all around together, and it's a special time celebrating the Passover. And Jesus looks out to them, and he, and he tells them, um, one of you are going to betray me tonight. That's not a great dinner conversation, is it? Jesus breaks bread in pieces. He describes, this is my body which will be broken, and he has a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood which will be spilled. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, what are you talking about? What kind of language is that around the table with you? It's really disheartening. Then Jesus tells the disciples as they're on the way to the Mount of Olives, they're walking together, he goes, oh, by the way, tonight, all of you will desert me. It was bad enough that he said, one of you will betray me. Then he says, all of you will desert me. Oh, so this is good? Good Friday? What's going on here? Jesus goes into the olive grove called Gethsemane. He becomes very anguished, very distressed. As he prays, he prays this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Not very promising words from Jesus again. And Jesus prayer time comes to a close as a crowd of men, an army, gathers to arrest him and take him away. Then we come to the most, one of the most, I would say, disappointing and depressing verses found in Scripture. It's in Matthew 26, 56. It says, at that point, at that point, all, let me hear you say all, all the disciples deserted him. Talk about a very depressing, a very lonely moment. Jesus is arrested, taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and elders gather. They're looking for false witnesses who can come up with a good story about Jesus. Somebody make one up. You got a good one? Let's make something up. Come on, let's make it up. And they're all coming up with stories, trying to come up with something. They finally find something. They accuse Jesus. And when Jesus finally does speak, and he really isn't admitting anything, he's just saying, if that's what you're saying, the high priest go crazy. They rip their robes and they, they scream and shout blasphemy. And this dramatic, incredible situation begins where they spit in Jesus' face, they beat him with their fists, they slap him, they make fun of him. And to top it off, one of the disciples who said, I will never deny you, denies him three times. And as we continue to read, we see mocking, beating, flogging, and eventually crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Why is that good? Why is it good Friday? Boys and girls, right now you can quietly, as you're sitting there, you're doing good, go ahead and just draw some pictures uh, maybe of a cross, if you would, okay? That's your next assignment. You can just draw pictures of a cross while we keep talking. See, we have the benefit of knowing that all this on Good Friday leads up to what? Resurrection Sunday, right? We know that. We've got the Bible. We've got Scripture. They didn't have that. To the followers of Jesus at that moment, it must have seemed like the world was falling apart. What is going on here, Jesus? It's a challenge for us, you know, to try to read this story of the crucifixion and, and it took place 2,000 years ago and try to feel what they felt because they weren't having the honor of having Scripture in front of them like us. So how can we empathize with them thinking, oh, I wonder how it felt as a disciple? We can't figure that one out. 
because they didn't have the hope. All they had in front of them was what they were seeing, and it was painful. So from our perspective, the crowds seemed really fickle, right? The disciples of Jesus seemed weak and uncommitted and clueless. The religious leaders and the members of the Sanhedrin, they were shamefully evil, and Pilate was laughably corrupt. That's the way we read it. Those things are true, and nobody except Jesus really behaved well on Good Friday. He was the only one that really behaved well. But it's these very people, the fickle, the weak, the uncommitted, the clueless, the evil, the corrupt, those are the ones that Jesus died for. Guess who belongs in that category? We do. Because at times, aren't we sort of fickle and uncommitted, clueless? Aren't we sometimes evil and corrupt in things that we do? We really have a lot of common uh, ground with the, the fools and the villains of Easter, right? And the incredible thing is that Jesus loved them and loved us too. That's why he went to the cross. Good Friday is all about what Jesus endured so that we could celebrate the good news three days later. Good Friday points us to the good news. Let me hear you say good news. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great to know that there's good news out of this story? Too many times you might watch a movie or a show and you're like watching, like, I don't like that ending. It was sad. It's not a sad ending. We have Good Friday. We have Resurrection Sunday. But what about those in-between days, that in-between day? Somewhat Saturday? Should we call that yesterday? Hey, we have Good Friday. We've got Sunday Resurrection. What do we do with Saturday? Somewhat Saturday or maybe Hush Holiday, right? How about depressing day? I mean, there's no special name. It's just a quiet, routine day, right? Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's disappointing because back then it would have been. For those of us, you have a super fantastic team that you love. I mean, you sport their colors as if, you know, you're, you own the team. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are that way. Your house is painted certain colors because of the team you like. Your car is a certain color because of the team you like. Your wardrobe, it's all basically, you know, that one color, Okay. And they're going to the national championship. They're going to the Super Bowl. They're going somewhere big. And you've invested in everything to watch and cheer that team on. And they lose. What's the next day like for you? You lay in bed saying, I don't want to get up. My team lost yesterday. Let's bring this home a little bit closer. Some of us have lost loved ones recently. Maybe it was a few years back. But if you remember what it was like the day of the funeral, the viewing, and then... You had the service with the church and then out to the cemetery and the committal. You go back, you fellowship with people, and then you go home. What's that next day like? It's quiet. Maybe you don't want to get out of bed. You're sad. You're wondering, is, is there really anything worth doing today? What would it have been like for those disciples on that day? They had no clue what the next day would be better. They had no hope. They had no peace. James and John weren't sitting there saying, hey, Mary, what are we going to do about a sunrise service tomorrow? What do you think? There, there was none of that. There's nothing planned for the next day except probably let's keep the doors locked and let's keep hiding. Maybe they secretly tried to catch a glimpse of where their Jesus was buried, a cave, a hole in the side of the earth, dark, dreary, cold. Children, here's the second picture you can draw for me. Why don't you draw a, a cave? If you want to, you maybe do a mountain on one part of it with a cave down at the bottom, or just draw a cave, draw what's inside a cave, okay? That's the second picture you can draw for me. Maybe you do it on the back of one of those pages. 
While they're draw, uh, drawing, I, I guess I want you to use your imagination out to a cave. I, I used to do a lot of rock climbing and mountain climbing and spelunking, which is caving, okay? Out of those, th those things, being on top of a mountain or being underneath a mountain, I'll tell you which I like the best, being on top, okay? In a cave, under a mountain, I don't know why I did it. I really don't. I think I was just trying to show my manhood and say, come on, boys, let's go. You know, it's like tough youth pastor guy something. I don't know. But every time I would enter a cave, I entered with no maps, no expectations of discovery, because Mike, who is usually our guide, led everything, and he didn't have any maps either. But every time we went in, I will, I will admit I was a little nervous. I was a little fearful. A little bit of excitement and adventurism in me, but mostly fear and nervousness. I would ask myself every time, every time, why am I doing this? Look at the person next to you and say, why did he do that? Go for it. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, maybe it was a midlife crisis. I don't know. Okay. But I, I don't like cold, dark places that have unexpected things in them. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, I would mark my path, and usually, usually I would be in the middle of the group or in the, in the back, typically the back, because here's the deal. As an adult, there was an adult in front leading, and then the high school kids, and then the guy in the middle, and then the guy in the back, which was another adult, to bring up the rear. But as all of you know, you don't want to be the guy in the back. Why is that? Because the guy in the back is the first one to go, right? If there's a creature in there, he's always the first to go. So usually I was in the back, always doing one of these, you know, it's like, I know there's no creatures in here, but, you know, um, but this is what I did. I always had chalk, I had something with me, and as we were going in the cave, I was always chalking the wall, chalking the wall. I wanted to make sure if we got lost, I got my way out of there, okay? Just follow the chalk, just follow them out. The scary thing was that one time we were in there and we were chalking the wall, and then somebody said, hey, look, somebody's chalking the wall. Somebody else chalked it, so what if they chalked another way? Then I got really nervous. I don't want to get stuck in a dark, cold, dreary place. You know, if you went down to Kentucky, you can venture into mammoth caves. And the amazing thing is the National Park, you can pay money to go to. And if you go to the website, this is what it's described. It's a grand, gloomy, peculiar place. 400 miles of explored caves. It's pretty incredible. We've been there before. Many of you probably have too. But when you go in those caves, you have to ask, what did they do in the caves? They mined, maybe for different resources. They explored. I don't know if you knew this, but they actually held church services down in Mammoth Cave and concerts because the acoustics, there was, there was parts of the cavern that were as big as this room, even bigger. And the acoustics in the cavern were incredible. And as people sang, it was amazing how uh, the voices filled that cave. They hid slaves in those caves. They hid treasures. They looked for treasures. They uh, found comfort from the elements outside. But here's the one thing we, we found out that they didn't do, and that was people live there. People don't live in caves. Maybe stay for a while, maybe hide, but they didn't stay there. And here's the deal. Jesus didn't stay in his cave, his tomb either. Jesus didn't need to mark his way out of that cave. When he went in, it wasn't like Joseph went in there and marked something so that, you know, well, in case Jesus needs to find his way out. He didn't need that. He entered that dark place for a short time, and it wasn't just a resting place. It was a battle, something that we can't fully comprehend. 
But a divine battle took place over death and sin. Jesus emerged victorious. We thought he was done. They thought he was done. The stone was rolled in front. The battle just begun. And he emerged victorious. Bursting from darkness, the heavenly sun brought forth hope, peace, joy, and life. I will give you first-hand testimony. When you come out of a cave, there's a smile bigger on my face than going in. Okay? First-hand testimony. I love emerging from caves. Okay? Light. Let's go up on top of the mountain now instead of under it, please. Okay? I love mountains more. The only thing a cave does, you know what a cave does? It enhances my passion for mountains. It gets me more excited about mountains. Dark times are never adventurous or joyful for me, but they really help me long and look forward to light and height. Think about this. Death is sad. Pain is frustrating, but it propels my heart towards heaven, and it keeps me focused on heavenly things. I know that whenever I entered caves, I didn't go alone, and every cave we explored, we always had a guide with us. And you know what else? We figured this out too. There was somebody actually went in that cave before I ever did. God goes with you too. You don't go alone. And he goes in front of you to lead the way. So you don't have to fear what's ahead. So Saturday, Saturday is sort of that unknown day, but I know this, it's more than that. It prepares me for Sunday. That darkness prepares me for Sunday. There's a song that says, because he lives, I can face, anybody know the next word? Tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The Gospels record dozens of miracles that Jesus performed while on earth, and these events uh, really demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ over nature, over evil spirits, over sickness, over sin and death. And these miracles that Jesus performed blessed the recipients and no doubt amazed everybody too. Did you see what he did? Did you see how he healed? Did you see him walk on water? But they all drove home one clear point. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All of the miracles that Jesus ever did pointed towards that. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But you know what? Those events ultimately, no matter which miracle it was you want to pick, none of them really mattered if the last miracle didn't take place, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus would have never resurrected from the dead, all those other miracles really didn't matter. Paul makes this clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain, and you are still in sin. Praise God for the resurrection. Amen? Christ's victory over sin and death is the foundation of our faith. So you may wonder, and our kids might wonder, how can we know for certain that Jesus rose from the dead? Because we tell our kids a lot of great stories, right? Every holiday has a story. So we tell them these stories, we tell them these stories, and as they get older, they start figuring out some of these stories. And we tell them about Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as they get older, do they wonder if that's true too? 
I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave and if he isn't God, then there's no point to Christianity. So parents, children, it's important that we understand the evidence of the Bible, the evidence of the resurrection. Children, here's the next thing I want you to draw for me, okay? Now, you've drawn a, what did you draw for me so far? A cross, right? Something with a cross on it. You've drawn a cave or something like a cave for me or something in a cave. Now I want you to draw something with an apple. You can draw an apple, a bunch of apples, a barrel of apples, an apple tree, anything with an apple. Okay. I'll get to that in a little bit here. But here's what we know about the resurrection. So I'm going to have the adults help me out with this. Okay. Adults, repeat after me. Document. Why did we just say document? What kind of word do we use that on Sunday morning? Well, the resurrection was witnessed and documented. We need to understand that many religions have an oral tradition, maybe events, uh, maybe details that were handed down from generation to generation, and they tell their children. Those children tell their children, and those children tell their children, and so forth and so on. In Christianity, guess what we have? We have written documentation. The eyewitnesses of the Bible wrote it out right away. And those written documents were carefully preserved and carried on and, and carried on. We've got written documentation. We've got evidence where a lot of times things are just forwarded on. You know, you ever play that telephone game? You tell somebody something and they tell somebody something and it goes all the way around and you wonder if it comes back, is it going to be the same thing? I don't know if you ever played that game with kids before. It's pretty fun. Things get really messed up by the time you get around. That happens in life, right? You call somebody, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? I got to tell you about, you know, we need. that happens with prayer requests. Hey, can you pray for so-and-so? Because they, they stubbed their toe and they think they might have broke their big toe. But by the time it gets around, you know, somebody's like, yeah, they're in a the hospital, they're having surgery, they've got a couple of discs in their back, they're out of place. How did that start off with a stubbed toe? I don't know. But that's the telephone game, right? So it's so important so un to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing we need to know. Documentation from eyewitnesses handed down, which gives us great evidence of the resurrection. Gospels are written from eyewitnesses. And even when great care is taken along to preserve stories, they still get changed. But here's one story that did not get changed. That's the first proof. The second proof is this. Let me hear you say the early church. Oh, the early church was energized. You know, Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15 that one of the most convincing arguments for the resurrection is seen by hundreds of witnesses in the early church and that the confirmation of Christ's victory over death literally changed their lives. It transformed their lives. Those first people who saw Jesus Christ and they witnessed it, they were never the same. Immediately after reporting seeing Jesus alive, the previously heartbroken, cowardly disciples turned into passionate mess messengers of the gospel. Nothing they experienced, prison, persecution, imminent death, all those things that came their way couldn't make them deny that they saw Jesus alive. Jesus' resurrection, including uh, towards James and Paul, who were sort of wishy-washy, changed them. It took unbelievers and changed them because they encountered a living Christ. Now, I was thinking about this because, you know, we've got the documentation, we've got the early church, and we've got evidence, right? 
Now, I, I wanted to do this, and I'm not sure how to do this and do it correctly. And, I, and if I was a magician, it would make this, oh, so much more fun, okay? But I'm not a magician, and I can't pull the wool over your eyes, okay? But I was thinking about this, so let's just, just go, let's just run with this. Okay, so kids, you all drew an apple, right? Okay, so I've got an apple up here. And let's take this apple, and let's say I have this apple, and I've carried it around. I saw the tree from which it came from. It was a great tree, probably the best apple tree I've ever seen. And this piece of fruit came from that tree. And I look at this apple. It smells good. I imagine it's going to taste good. But I'm going to hold on to it for a while. But as I hold on to it, I... Oh, I drop and it hits things, knocks things over, and, and uh, when I, oh, I drop, to get bruises and maybe it gets cut, and maybe it, it eventually breaks, okay? That was not a clean, some of you are thinking he did that with his bare hands. No, I cut it. Um, and, and maybe then, it, it, you know, you have somebody else come along, but then they take it, and now, now we're going to do it, and it's going to get, I was waiting for the apple juice to squirt my eyeball. So now it gets broken apart and it keeps getting bruised, and it isn't taken care of very well. As a matter of fact, maybe somebody comes along, and they grab something, and it seems very mischievous, but they take a pen, and they shove the pen in the apple, and they play with it, and they beat it, and they don't treat it well. See, this apple is meant to be eaten, right? But it got abused. Oh, no, it broke through my box. We'll try that again. We'll take it, throw it back in the box. And the box was just sort of shoved in nowhere, right? But what if, what if I went back and grabbed the box and opened it up to grab that apple? Because I felt really bad about that apple and there's nothing in there, right? Like I said, I'm no magician. You guys can see right here, there's another box, right? <laughs> but I look inside and there's nothing there. Now, wouldn't that be amazing, kids? It's like, wow, what happened to the apple that was in there? And then what if I pulled out of my back pocket the same apple, but it's together. It's not bruised. It's not stabbed. Now, again, man, wouldn't it have been awesome if I was a magician to pull that one off? That'd be sweet. I can't do it, right? But Jesus did. He's no magician. He's the son of God because they took his body, bruised it, beat it, stabbed it, destroyed it, put it in a cave closed it up. But when they went to go back and examine that cave, that tomb, it was empty, nothing in there. And then Jesus appeared to hundreds. Now, again, if I were able to pull this off, you'd say, that's incredible because we have the evidence right here, right? We have the evidence of Jesus Christ and we don't even believe it. But you would believe a, a simple trick, right? It's no trick. The evidence of Jesus is real, is alive. Some people say, well, I still need more evidence. Still need more evidence. Show me the resurrection is true. Let me hear you all say God's people. Let's try that one more time. God's people. There's your evidence. We are to be the continuing witness of the resurrection. Living proof that we serve a living Savior and that he's working in us to do his work and for his pleasure. Philippians 2.13 says that. And as we do, we teach our children, guess what? We have reassurance that Christ's victory over death is true today. And that's why on this glorious morning, we gather together and I say, he is risen. And you say, he's risen indeed. We can say that with confidence because as God's people, we know it is true. 
And so where is that evidence? It's in you. Quit looking for it. God's Spirit indwells the believers. Evidence is new. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the disciples, they went back to their occupations. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. In John, chapter 21, it's a great story. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Kids, how you doing? I'm about ready to have you draw another picture for me. Okay, so be prepared. It's coming up. Let's read John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. Let me hear you say nothing. And at dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who it was. Remember, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, right? He calls out, friends, did you catch anything? No, they replied. Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get plenty of fish. So they did. They couldn't draw on the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, which he had stripped off to work, and then he stood up and he said, I challenge Nathaniel, Thomas, James, and John to the AD1 cold water challenge. And he jumped in the water. Okay, I threw that in. Okay. So he jumped in the water out of the boat, and he swam, it says, over 100 yards and when they got there, the rest of the boat, they saw a charcoal fire was burning, and his fish were frying over it, and there was bread. But some of the fish, bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Another story sometime, we have to read about that and what, what that's all about with that number, 153. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples even dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. And this was the third time they appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I want to go back. There's some incredible things in this. I just want to point out to you really quick. They, they knew it was the Lord. He had appeared to them already a couple times. He called out to them. They had conversation with them. They taught and listened. They ate together. How do you argue with that? Oh, Jesus isn't alive. How do you argue that you just had a conversation with him, you jumped out of a boat in the middle of a lake, swam 100 yards to go sit around a campfire and eat fish with him and talk and listen? Kids, here's what I need you to do, okay? I want you to draw me a boat, maybe sit around a campfire with some fish. Uh, draw some fish if you want, okay? That's what's the next thing you draw, maybe a boat, lake, fish, anything like that. Because, see, it's more evidence. Evidence is building. Turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is our last passage we'll turn to. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is about the time now that Jesus is getting ready to go up to heaven. Verse 1. In my first book, 
I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he ascended into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions for the Holy Spirit. Listen to this very carefully. During the 40 days, let me hear you say 40 days. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. On one of these occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In one of the meetings, he was eating a meal with them, and he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I told you about this before. John baptized with water just a few days, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now listen very carefully. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, you going to free Israel now? You going to restore your kingdom? Is it time? You going to take out the Romans? You going to take over the religious leaders? Jesus, you going to put your kingdom here now, right? Listen very carefully. Jesus said, the Father set those dates. They're not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll receive power. You'll tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It was not long after that he was taken up into the sky, and while they're watching, he disappeared into a cloud. They're straining their eyes to see him. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you here staring up in the sky? Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven. Someday he's coming back. Can you imagine what's going on in the heart of those disciples? The evidence builds. I'm telling you something. We are here this morning to celebrate our faith. Our faith is grounded in the resurrection. The resurrection is true, documented, changed the early church. Eyewitnesses seen it. God's Spirit now moves among His people. The evidence is real. That's why we celebrate it. It's not a story we make up and we try to fool people into thinking. It's real. But here's the thing. Now what? In light of the resurrection, now what? Here's the first thing. Be patient. Everybody repeat after me. Be patient. Be patient. Did you hear what, the, what Jesus said? Is it now? You're going to put your power now? You're coming back now? You're going to free us now? Be patient. It's God's timing. The dates, you don't need to know that. Trust God. Trust that God knows all things. The Father alone has the authority. We don't need to know those things. You know, it's tough not knowing everything in this day and generation, isn't it? Because we can Google everything. We can call somebody up. We, it seems like we know everything about everything, right? And for us to sit here and not know when Jesus is coming back, that really bugs some of us. I've got to know the answer to everything. No, you don't. There's some things you're just not going to know. But it's so hard, right? Because a lot of us with the technology, we think we know more than our coaches, our teachers, our bosses. We know more than everybody, right? No, not all the time. Trust God who knows all things. Repeat after me again. Be patient. Trust God. Let's try that again. Be patient. Trust God. Here's the, last, uh, the next thing. God's Spirit gives us power. Repeat after me. He gives me power. It's not our power, it's His power. Matter of fact, the Greek word says, and His power will come upon you. The word is dunamis. Now, I don't know if you remember that you all heard the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Who was named after who? Alfred Bernard Noble, back in the 1800s. You know what he invented? Dynamite. When he created this explosive thing that blew up, he said, wow, I need a word to call this. What do I call it? And he went to the Greek language, and he found the word that meant explosive, dunamis. And he took dunamis, and he made 
dynamite after explosiveness. That's the kind of God that we serve that says, I want to put my explosive power in you to do mighty things in my name. And he makes it so that we can be evident to others. Oh, you know when something's blown up, right? People should know when a Christian's walked into the room. They should know that. See, it's not our job to know timetables and all that kind of stuff. Our job is to be witnesses. When you go into a foreign country, you don't have to act like an American, right? For those of you who've been to the Dominican Republic, you didn't have to show up in the Dominican Republic and say, I just want everybody to know I'm an American and I'm going to start acting like an American. Let's see, maybe I can have a southern accent or maybe I can say yeehaw or what else would make me sound American? I like cheeseburgers. You don't do that, do you? When you go to a foreign country, you just what, you act yourself, right? Everybody already knows you're an American. Guess what, as a Christian, we live in a world that this isn't our world. You don't have to go out and say, I'm a Christian. You don't have to, because if you really are living through the power of Jesus Christ, it should just be natural. People should be able to look at you and say, you know what? You're a Christian. You don't have to announce it. It should be pretty clear and evident. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here as we close out today's service. Children, I've asked you to do something for me. I've asked you to draw four pictures for me, and you're going to bring them up after church and show them to me. And I appreciate you being engaged this morning and drawing those pictures because, children, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, he died on that cross, and he was put in a tomb, but he's not there anymore. And just like I tried to show you that, but there is evidence. And just like that fishing boat when the disciples ate around and ate with them, there's evidence that Jesus is alive. But we, everybody hold up their hand, please. Everybody's hand up. We are witnesses of the evidence and power of Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, it's sort of like the trumpet, the horn sounding, boom, go. Now go take what you believe. Go take the power of the Holy Spirit. Go be my witnesses. Go. The resurrection is an incredible event. The resurrection was real with evidence. And today, we are the living evidence of the resurrection. It's not about, hey, come to my church. Come see my church. Come see my pastor. Come see uh, our stage. Come see our fancy programs. Come see my Bible study. Come see my, my youth leader. No, let's come see my Jesus. Let's not get caught up in all the hoopla and try to create stuff. He already gave it to us, his spirit, all through the resurrection. So I guess I'd sort of be like those angels that were standing around looking at the disciples. What are you waiting for? What are you staring? Go. Go take the power of God's spirit. Go be my witnesses. Go be the church. Go share with somebody today the power of the resurrection. He is loving, no doubt about it. He is tenderhearted, but someday he's going to come back and judge. Separate those who believe and those who don't believe. But until that day, until that day, are we living it out? Are we living with victory? We have something to smile about this morning. Maybe something didn't go right at home, but we have something incredible to smile about this morning. We have hope, we have joy. We have reason to celebrate that we worship a resurrected, living powerful, victorious Savior. Amen? Would you please stand and let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the resurrection. That this morning, and we look back at maybe what was Good Friday like. Didn't seem anything good about it. Saturday, Saturday was so blah. Oh, but it all pointed towards Sunday. For us, Sunday. That resurrection morning that, that we call now Easter. What a special celebration. But it didn't stop there. Your spirit's alive. Your son Jesus Christ is in heaven preparing a place for us now and until he returns, you've given us your spirit, that same spirit that busted him out of the tomb, that dynamite, dunamis, explosive power to be bold, to be courageous. In times when we want to give up, we, we don't give up because of your spirit that lives within us. So Lord, help us go be your witness now. Help us to joyfully celebrate this day and help us, Lord, to continue to be your witnesses wherever we go. Help us to love others. Help us to love those close to us. Help us to love those we don't even know. Thank you, God, for this morning. We can celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.